Welcome to the Worldwide Golf Shops Insider Podcast, episode 354. Greetings, everyone. Tom Brussell here. Thanks so much for joining us. If you're a first-time listener, long-time subscriber, or maybe you fit somewhere in the middle, doesn't matter. We're just glad you joined us. It's a special day here at the Insider Podcast. Special guest. He has 63 professional worldwide wins, including two players' championships. He's a four-time Ryder Cup team member, seven-time President's Cup team member, three times as the captain. He's been inducted in the World Golf Hall of Fame, but most importantly to us, he's here to go down memory lane to talk about that 30th anniversary of his Masters win back in 1992. He's brought to us by our friends at Bridgestone Golf who else but Mr. Fred Couples? Freddie, thanks so much, man. It's great to have you with us, and thanks for thanks for carving out the time. No problem, Tom. Yes, it's uh, uh, very very fun memories, all kinds of fun things. I was just talking to a couple guys that are are heading to Augusta. Uh, they went up and played, and there was a lot of wind, <laughs> so they kind of wasted their time. You know, a lot of people go up the week before, mm-hmm. and I just. I just remiss, you know, when they call and they tell me what they're doing and I'm like, yeah, I'm 62. That's what I'm going to be hitting in the number 11 (laughs) uh, of three woods. But, you know, yes, it's, it's going to be a heck of a lot of fun. Um, You know, I haven't played at all, Tom. I've had some back issues, so I've only played a couple times in like three months, but I'm feeling okay. That's the good news. And, uh, you know, this will be a nice, easy week of practice and I'll, I'll make my way down there and then just have a blast. That's great to hear. Hey, Freddie, this is episode 354. Uh, I look back 200 episodes. Exactly. was episode 154. And our guest was Jim Nance. Jimmy got to go down memory lane, talk about his life. And he spent, spent some time in that Houston suite with you and Blaine and John and so now it's your turn. Let's turn the clock back briefly and talk about how does a kid from Seattle, Washington, get to the University of Houston and then hook up with these lifetime friends? Well, I, I can tell you that um, Coach Williams used to call, and uh, there were there were I didn't know them, but there were a couple players from uh, Washington that went there, and one was a guy Chris Mitchell, um, and I didn't know Chris. Maybe I bumped into him, but he was a senior when I was a freshman when I got there. So I, I ended up knowing a little bit more about him and we had some friends from Seattle. So that's kind of how coach does it. You know, he'll ask somebody, Hey, you got anybody, you know, and I remember when I was at sophomore junior, I'm not quite sure exactly, but we used to call Willie Wood on Sunday night. I, I only remember really Willie Wood who ended up going to Oklahoma state. But once I flew into school, I'll never forget it. It was August 15th. Yeah. August 15th in Houston. And, um, I don't know if coach picked me up. I don't really remember that, but I got to his office on that Sunday. Um, and in his office was Jim Nance and he was talking about Jim Nance, who his family, Mr. The, The family of Jim's parents moved from New Jersey to Houston that summer and Jim enrolled in Houston. And so all I know is for the first month or two is that, that Coach Williams said that Jim Nance would be the president of the United States someday. That's how highly that he thought of Jimmy. And then when we got there, my roommate was John Horn, 
and then Jim Nance and Blaine McAllister uh, were together. Actually, here's how it went. It was Blaine and I and John Horn, and somebody changed rooms, and so Jimmy came over with us, and then we shared a suite, and that and that is exactly how it was. The first, you know, first few weeks we played, um, as the story goes, I'm sure maybe Jim brought it up, that we played in a freshman tournament, and he was leading, like, after 12 holes at one under. And Jimmy played high school golf. You know, I, I, he'll tell you that he was on the team. Really, he got me through three years. He couldn't get me to go the fourth year, but three years of school. <laughs> and it was just, it was an, actually, no one knew where we were going. You know, I didn't even know when I was a freshman at Houston how really good the players were, uh, how far I was going to go. You know, Jimmy Nance started to get a job here or there, uh, working with, uh, you know, API and, and getting interviews and stuff after some of the Houston games with, with the Oilers or the Rockets or Astros. And we knew he was, you know, on his way. We were just golfers. And then the next thing you know is, you know, we're on tour. And all three of us actually made it on tour with Blaine McAllister winning five times and then John Horn playing a couple of years and then becoming a pro in, in Plainview, Texas. Yeah. Jimmy talks, uh, uh, he talked about the interviews when he would come back, he would be interviewing Earl Campbell or Dan Pastorini or something. And then he came back and he'd have the little cassette recorder and he'd sit you down and he'd pretend he was with CBS and you'd pretend you'd win the masters. He says, that's all true. That all happened. Oh no, 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 no. So, a lot of times we would fake like we were sleeping because, you know, after all this stuff, he'd get home around 11. But to be quite honest, you know, it was pretty intriguing to get back and, and listen to, you know, some of these, some of these interviews. And, uh, yeah, and then he would interview us to practice. And that's no kidding. You know, I blame McAllister used to drive it as straight as anyone I'd ever seen. So, obviously, he was going to interview him as, as winning the U.S. Open. And then for me, you know, it, it would have been at Augusta and, and we did it. I'm not going to say hundreds of times, but we did it a lot. And, uh, you know, I, 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 everyone asked me, you know, what do you think about 92 masters? And I said, well, you know, my ball stuck up on the bank on number 12, but really immediately it goes to, you know, the Butler cabin mm-hmm. where, you know, I was with the guy I met when I was 92. So I met 20 you know, however many years before, 18 years before that at school. And here we are in this little room that not many people ever go into. And, uh, you know, I couldn't look at him. I actually spent more times looking at, I think it was Manny Zerman. I think that's how you say his mm-hmm. name. He was a low amateur. And then Jack Stevens, who was the chairman when I won. So I kind of didn't focus on Jimmy much. I answered his questions as best I could. And then, you know, after uh, the, we kind of went off air, I, I just completely lost it. But it was, it was at school. I would say that those were – and my teacher, Paul Marchand, as you know, when I met at school, he's been my teacher since really 1985, which is a long time. Without those four guys, uh, you know, I don't know where I'd be, but everyone has college teammates. But really, Jim Nance was, for all of us, um, you know, the guy who, who kind of got us going, pumped us up. And um, he wasn't a cheerleader because he was a busy guy. He just was 
perfect, you know, I mean, like I said, I got through three years of school. It wasn't easy. Um, but I just couldn't get back to my last year and I decided to turn pro, but, uh, Jim Nance, Blaine McAllister and John Horn, what three years we had, we had a blast. Well, here's, here's to me how close Fred, that friendship is, is that the week, you know, the masters week, the week before the masters is the final four. You're the world's number one player. And where are you on Saturday? He got you credentialed up. Well, I, yeah, I got credentialed up, up in Minnesota. Um, and uh, we were we were we were runners for uh, Jim and Billy Packer uh, for CBS. And then to be quite honest with you, you know I was number one for a short time, and I had won at LA and Bay Hill, so I worked my way. And I wasn't nervous to go to Augusta. I was nervous to get there because there were so many things set up, um, and I ended up staying. And I watched the I watched the final. I stayed in Minnesota. So people like, what do you mean? Well, I played Augusta enough. And, you know, nowadays, you know, Tom, most of the guys play nine holes, you know, like I, I'm not going to play too many days. I'm 62 and it's a hard walk, but almost everyone I talk to, you know, I would say, well, I'm only going to play nine. That's all I'm playing. I'm only playing nine. So, you know, it's not like I missed a whole lot, but people were like, you know, where were you? And I said, I was with my buddies. You know, I'll get there. So I, I flew down Tuesday morning. I got my practice round in Tuesday. I played Wednesday. And then, you know, four days later I won, which, you know, I think it helped me, kept me more relaxed. And uh, I missed being around that Monday at Augusta. Well, you shot 69-67 your first two rounds. And Jim said he had you in Friday night in the Butler cabin filming that segment CBS does for the, the short late night segment. And there was so, and your your badge number, your caddy number came up. Do you remember that? Yeah, I think my badge number was seventy. Seventy. Yep. Yes. Okay. No, is that I, I was going to say something else, but I haven't thought about that. Yeah. And I think what did he say? You shoot two more of those, you're the winner. You shoot two more of those, and you'll be in here on Sunday. And how prophetic was right. that? Because yeah. you were right there. Well, well, you know, I hated that. I hated that comment. You know, I've been around a lot of tournaments and, you know, guys say, yeah, you know, my, my caddy who passed away, Jeff Medlin, who was nicknamed squeaky when, when I was doing okay, not, you know, he'd say, Hey, a little 65 today might, might do us some good. And I'd like, you know, I haven't hit a shot yet. And you're already talking about seven birdies and no bogeys, but no, it, it, it was comical. And then a handful of years later, I had the same badge number and that's the year I lost the fill. And uh, Jimmy Nance knows, <laughs> I don't know how he knows all this, but, you know, I never put it together. But when you're walking around, see, this is how little I pay attention. But your caddy wears your number on, your, on, their, uh, on their pocket of their white overalls. I, I never put that together. And he goes, no, Joey's wearing it, so I know you're number 70. So, anyhow, that's kind of how, how little I pay attention to all that. But, yes, when I went down there, if you would have – Ask me if he said anything to you. I'd say I can remember that. I can remember him telling me that. Well, Sunday started early for you because you had to finish Saturday's round because of rain delay. And then Sunday you're paired with Craig Perry. I guess after two, did you make double on two or or bogey on two? And Craig's three up on you. And then he comes back and you kind of even it up. Uh, But number seven to me is the one that got you started. You remember number seven? 
I, I really don't. I don't you even know right. what did I, I. Yep, you hit it right, and you had to punch out into the bu- into the bunker by the green, and I don't even think you can see the top of the flag. And that and and you get it up and down from that bunker. Had you not done that, you could have gone a completely different way. Well, I could have, and, and I won't go too long to this, but you know, I pull hooked it into the ninth fairway in number one, which from the back tee, which from the back tee now you can't, but back then. And I had a nine iron and knocked it on the green, made par. Then the second hole, I pull hooked it down there in the creek and made a heck of a six. And then on the third hole, um, I hit an iron off the tee and fatted it. And so we're walking down the fairway. And Joey LaCava doesn't usually say a whole lot of things, but he laid into me. And then I hit an eight iron to a foot and made birdie. But, yes, I did get rolling. I, I I know I made the only birdie on number nine. I don't know after I got it up and down on seven if I birdied eight also, but I know I made the only birdie on nine, and then Craig uh, struggled on 10 and number 12, and then the next, well, while we were playing number 12, Ray Floyd, I had no idea who it was, but made some 60-foot putt on 14 with about 30 feet of break, and the next thing I know is, you know, they put, they put a 12 up there by him, and I believe I was 13 or 14 at the time. I might have birdied the 13th hole to get the 14. But a lot of things will settle you down, and I think one of them was that I went out and played um, four, four holes Sunday morning because of the weather. Uh, I didn't have to get up at 7 in the morning and then tee off at 3 I went back and slept for a couple hours, but getting up early to play those holes, um, and I was paired with Ray on Saturday, which was a blast. And then on Sunday, uh, you know, he came battling back, which he does, and I, I, I knew Craig Perry was really the guy to beat at the time. And like I say, Raymond had a very good last day, and, um, you know, once the ball stayed up on 12, I had a couple par fives. Uh, you know, I, I felt like I could play some really solid golf and, you know, all I kept telling myself is let's just hit a good shot on 12. And, you know, this, this, this is way, 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 uh, bad thinking, but you know, it is what it is. And I got lucky and went on to win. Well, talk, that second shot on 12, everyone, it, it looks so easy, but you've got a, you've got so much loft with that upslope. How do you play that? Well, I will say this. I don't know of any player that would ever practice that shot on the 12th hole. <laughs> That's for sure. So, you know, when you get down there, yeah, if I would have, I'm not going to say fluffed the shot horribly, but if I would have fluffed the shot and it got up, you know, all it takes is a ball to trickle. My ball hits so far down the bank that it had no momentum. But, you know, I did tell myself, you know, you got to hit a good shot. You know, I mean, everyone wants to hit a good shot, but I said, don't get, don't get stupid here. And then it came out perfectly rolled up to a foot and I had a tap in, but yeah, you know, uh, if I gun it a little hard, it goes eight feet by, if I fluff it, I can probably watch it roll right past my feet, go into the water. So, you know, the shot was not very hard. As a matter of fact, uh, if you walked up there with a hundred players tomorrow morning with with no pressure and set a ball there, I would say out of the 190 easily would get it up and down unless a couple of guys missed the three or four footer. But at the time, you know, 
there's a lot of adrenaline going on because the whole gallery could see the ball. They knew it should have went in the water. It didn't. There was a lot of buzz going on. Uh, you know, I couldn't wait to get up to the ball. And, uh, and then I just flipped it up there, made it look easy, but it was, you know, there were a couple things you didn't want to do. And um, I turned out to hit a fairly easy shot. Perfect. Well, for the record, you one putt seven for make that killer par. You one putt eight for birdie. You one putt nine for birdie. You get it up and down in ten from that bunker that only one player got it up and down for the week. You one putt twelve. You one putt fourteen. So now, you, now you're cruising, but you're never cruising at Augusta, especially like after Seve. You know, every Seve on fifteen, everybody thinks it's it's you know he's got it one. You never do. What are you thinking coming in those last four holes? Yeah, well, I know, you know, on 15, I, I, look, I put it down there behind those trees, but I bombed that drive, uh, you know, for a guy like, I just, I'm just throwing names out, Davis Love or myself or even John Daly or Norman, you know, we could hit a five or six iron into that green with, with good drives. And I pulled it and I knew when I got, when I was walking down there, you know, I was saying, Joe, it's too far left. And he goes, you know, it might not be. And actually it was, but I was not laying up. And so, you know, I, I rope hooked an iron uh, and hit, actually hit a hell of a shot. It, it trickled, over, it hit in the back part of the green, um, and it rolled, you know, f- not way down there, four or five yards over the green. But the pin back then was way back in the right. And again, you know, for, for a lot of people, it was a pretty easy shot. And uh, I did not hit a very good pitch there and left it short, which was good. And I had an uphill putt and didn't make it. But, um, you know, I was not laying up there, even though the pin was in the back. You know, it was not one of those pins where if you laid it up there with 80 yards, you'd be, it'd be the most nervous shot of your life. But, you know, we, we talked it through and, uh, you know, it just seemed like an easy shot to, to overhook. It really did. And if I didn't, you know, I left it out there to the right, which Joe said, you're not going to have any pit. I mean, I remember the conversation. I'm like, Joe, I'm not laying it up. So tell me my options. He goes, well, you got to overhook this. Cause if, you know, if you don't now the pin back, right. I may not even get my third shot on the green. So anyway, hooking the ball back then was not a problem. The golf balls, which we'll talk about a little bit here in a while were, were not the same. I mean, you could slice or draw a ball. Nowadays, it'd be kind of hard, unless you're maybe Bubba Watson, but to hook a ball that much, the way the balls are built now would be difficult. But again, I wouldn't, it wasn't a, like I went, oh my God, this is the dumbest shot I've ever hit. I mean, it was not, it was, you know, if you're a guy strong enough, I say that to, to really hit a high hook, then it wasn't that hard of a shot to pull off. Now, if I could, you know, if I would have overhooked it a little lower, it wouldn't have gotten the height, might've hit the bank and come down in the water. But I, I knew that wasn't going to happen. So, you know, we got it over the water. I hit a good shot on 16. You know, I made a nice little four footer on 17 and then, and then, and then did the dumb thing on 18. You know, I cut the ball and I didn't get cute. I just tried to hit a nice rip cut and I didn't get it quite up in the air. And if I just would have blasted it kind of, swung as hard as I could. I could have carried that bunker back then. No problem. And now I've got that bunker shot. You know, when I got down there, I had a seven iron and, you know, the talk about a deep bunker, but I got it out of there up on the green and two putted for par and, and, and 
got the hell out of there. Well, on the Butler cabin, you mentioned it once, and Jim said the same thing. He said he wouldn't make eye contact with me. He wouldn't make eye contact with me. And then he got to the emotional end of it where he went back to Houston, and then you started looking at each other. Talk about that. Yeah, well, you know, I do know that Jim, (laughs) you know, you try and play, let alone the last 18 holes, but the last nine, or for that matter, the last four holes, you know, to try and win at Augusta. And then Jim Nance is telling you, it was the hardest telecast he's ever had for a lot of reasons. You know, he roots for everybody. Does he have favorites? Of course he does. But, you know, when you go back to 1978 and 79 and you're, you know, you're doing this clip in your dorm room talking about winning Augusta, you know, I don't know how many people, you know, that Nick Faldo has talked to that's now a, you know, a, a guy, a broadcaster, or, or I'm just thinking of guys, you know, or anyone. And so for me, you know, it was like, wow, this has come to fruition. This is my main guy. This is the guy that, you know, gets me going a lot. And, and, um, you know, once I left the regular tour from age 50, I haven't seen much of Jim, but he still comes by at Augusta. I mean, he does a lot of things. He knows that I can't really get out of the house. So after some of these things, he'll stop by for a half hour, treat the family and friends to a little bit of fun. And and, and he needs it too. But back then it was just one of those things, you know, I I knew as soon as I walked in there, I was on cloud nine. And then, uh, you know, he, it, it was just incredibly special. And then it was even more special, obviously. I mean, we have been, we have been friends since 1978. So you know, I have a lot of friends. I have actually four or five friends that were at that tournament where I won. And, uh, it was, it was pretty cool too. So, you know, it's, it's a huge week, Augusta, and, uh, you can't overdo it where you're spent dealing with everybody. You bring the right friends in there and and it makes for the week to go swimmingly well. Yeah, the stars aligned in so many ways that week. And you mentioned friends so many times, Freddie, and you're brought to us by your friends and our friends at Bridgestone Golf, and you've got a long relationship with Bridgestone Golf. Just talk briefly about that. Yeah, you know, I've been with Bridgestone a long, long time. Um, I, I, I just have such, such – they've treated me, you know, as, as, as well as any company – uh, that you could be treated by. And, um, you know, I wear things on my shirts and, and I, I do things, but Bridgestone is the company that, you know, makes the golf ball that I use and the irons that I use. And so when you look at things, you know, you, you want to be with the best people. Um, Bridgestone doesn't have a ton of people, uh, that, that use their equipment, but they have the right amount of people. And for me, I think it was, Wow, 25 years ago, 24 years ago. I'm not exactly sure in the day because they just keep rolling over. But I went, I went and uh, tested golf balls. And, um, you know, I, I told them, look, I'm not going to do this all day. This can take 20 minutes. Here, here. And this is the truth. Anyone will tell you this is how I do it. I'm going to go hit some drives, and your ball better be past theirs. It's that simple. And you can stand right next to me. Now, back then there was no track, man. There was no ball speed. 
So, you know, I, I, I went at them all hard. We would get in a cart. We would drive down there, and I'll never forget it. Uh, and I don't need to mention the balls I was going up against, but Bridgestone was the furthest. So I said, okay, that's done. Now we need to go to a hole that's, you know, I'm hitting a second shot into a par five, whether it's with a three-wood or a two-iron. And uh, I need to hit a ball. And the other balls that I were testing uh, did not stop on the green. And so I was with Daryl Moya. And I said, Daryl, here's how we do this. So look at this shot right here. If, if this is the 71st hole and I've just hit a two-iron and the Bridgestone stopped right here on the back of this green and that other ball was rolled down that little embankment, I'm not going to get that ball up and down, and I have an eagle putt here. So I just want to tell you, this is how I test. And we were done. I flew all the way, I think, to Atlanta, and we were done in probably a half hour. And and so, you know, we can all go hit golf balls um, and, 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 and get the feel for things. But what I mean with Bridgestone is, since then, every ball they have made uh, – has been better and better and better. And I know that's true for everyone. I can't speak for them because I really have not played another golf ball in, in 24 years. Do I hit them on the range? You know, when you go play a senior event, we all don't get our own ball like you do in the regular tour. So all hit whatever they have on the range, whether it's TaylorMade or Titleist or Callaway, but I'm warming up. I don't pay any attention, but on a golf course, I will say on this phone, I don't think, Okay, I, someone I may have played with, I hit a ball out of bounds and another ball was in my cart. And I may have hit one in their pocket, but um, I just, I, there's no reason. And at 62, you know, I still need length. I still need a ball that stops. And I don't, I don't want to, uh, you know, stop playing. So, um, you know, they have their guys. They have Tiger. They have Kuchar, who I text a little bit because our games aren't alike, but you know, maybe, you know, I hit it like he does. And then Bryson and tiger, you know, they're, they're all distance, but, but they need that ball to go. Exactly. If they're hitting the five iron, you know, two ten, they want to hit it two Oh eight to two eleven every single time. And, and again, I know all the other top players uh, want the same thing and they get that, but I, I can only speak for, you know, my guys at Bridgestone that work extremely hard. Um, and the guy I deal with mostly is Daryl. And I think if Daryl was on the phone, he'd say, you know, his probably only complaint would be getting a new bag at Augusta every year because <laughs> they're all shiny. And, and, the, and the no, this is true. And the felt inside, when I put the grips in and out, you know, I'm a grip freak. They kind of get a little... They, they, they rub on there and it's not worn out. And other than that, I mean, I, I know he would tell you, oh, he complains about his bag at Augusta. But other than that, there's not much for me to complain about at 50, 55, 60 or whatever age I am because, um, you know, it's a good, it's a great ball. Last question on the ball, Freddie. You're playing the new Tour B RXS. Great ball. Anybody can play that ball, but what are your thoughts on ball fitting? Bridgestone is good for that, for the average player to take the time to go in and get fit for the ball. A BRXS may be great for you, but another ball may be better, right? Yes, yes. So, I mean, what a question. That That's that's a heck of a question. So I just told you, I think, I'm going to say it's 1999 maybe, and I started in 2000. 
you know, I just went and did a ball, but there was nothing else really to go by. I mean, no one could tell me, you know, standing on the tee, okay, that carried 282. That carry, you know, you'd have to hit and go out and find them. Nowadays, you can do all this from hitting and looking at a monitor with your Bridgestone rep. So I can't enforce it enough that uh, all these guys on the tour, they're trying to find less curve, more spin. I think most of them get the distance, you know, and if, if, if Bryson was going to, you know, if they made a new ball that went shorter, Bryson would probably say, no, this isn't the right ball. Tiger would say, well, this ball spins too much. And for me, you know, at my age, I'm looking for a little more hit. So what did I do? I'm using a little harder ball. Um, And I'm using a ball that probably a lot of maybe really, really good amateurs that are 46, 48, 50, you know, with still a little bit of pop that that they'll want to use because it, it might go a little bit further. And we're not playing greens that are rock hard every week, you know, and, and then if you get guys in, in their 60s and 70s that don't have a lot of pop, yeah, Bridgestone, you just go get fitted, and they're going to give you a ball that you may never have thought in your wildest dreams you could hit three or four yards further. So, again, uh, several years ago we used to do these commercials, and Bridgestone really started it where they went to the driving ranges and, and they, they, they tested anyone who wanted to come up with any ball they brought versus their ball and now every, everyone does it. Um, and one of the weird things that, you know, I tried to say, and I think in the commercials was, you know, this reactive technology that you had to say over and over. Um, and so now I've kind of learned those words. But it, it is amazing because when you play these balls, you know, I know it's not what I'm getting at, but I react to how the ball reacts for me. And so what they're trying to say is, is, you know, Tom, you, might, you, you, you and I may hit the ball the same distance, but you may, do it, you may do it by swinging as hard as you possibly can, and then I do it with a little less swing speed, but the ball will react better for me. And so you, the testing is very important. A lot of people don't have time for this. You know, it, it's, 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 it's very difficult. But what I tell a lot of them is, you know, I'm glad you're buying Bridgestone balls, but when you go in there, buy a sleeve of the ones you like and buy a sleeve that the pro, you know, thinks might be better for you and just go out and play them and and see what you think. You don't have to go stand if you're nervous or you don't want to, or you don't have people coming to your golf course um, because some people don't, they want a reaction. Not if they go to Edwin Watts or Roger Dunn, where they're hitting into a screen and they're having some, kid tell you, wow, you know, you normally hit it 220, you just carried that 230. A lot of people don't believe that, you know, where, and because my friends ask me and I say, you know, at my age, I'm trying to get two or three more yards, but that's carry. So if I have a little firmer ball and I'm, I'm playing on normal fairways that are not soft, not hard, you know, the little two or three yards more in the air might get me another yard or two in roll you know, I've picked up five yards. And so that's all I'm trying to get. I'm not going to sit here and tell somebody, you know, that's listening to us. Oh yeah. Go use a Bridgestone. You're going to pick up 15 yards, but you might be using the wrong ball for your swing speed. And that's basically, we could go on all day on this, but that was, that's a great question. And uh, you know, that's normally my, my stock answer is you got to try this stuff out. 
And that's great advice, too. If you're shy about a ball fitting, get a sleeve of the ones you think and go do your own fitting, you know, go and, and see for yourself. But, uh, that, that's yeah, great. no, no, you know, there, uh, no, I golf's a very funny game. There are people who don't like hitting off the first tee if it's in front of the clubhouse. And then once they get going and it doesn't matter, I mean, wh- wherever I go play, it doesn't happen all that much, but if you're, you know, People see me, right? Okay, well, now eight people come out want to see me hit off the first tee. Well, I'm playing with three other guys, you know, and they go, damn you. Why, why, do, you know, why, do, why do you do that? I said, I didn't do anything. We got an 840 tee time. I can't tell these eight people. I, I know they're not going to watch us. That I can handle. I would tell them, no, 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 stay away. Let us play golf. But some people, you know, the more you tighten up, you're not going to get a, a true result of what you're doing. So if you do it on your own, if you can, or if you, or if you feel natural to go up and, you know, these guys have you on their monitor on the range when they, when they do their ball fitting or club fitting, then, then go give them some wax. You don't have to do it for an hour. If it'll take you 10 minutes and then they'll figure it out by looking at it. And like I say, you know, I'm very excited when I play with people who use Bridgestone. The first thing I ask them is, you know, why do you use that ball? And a lot of times, you know, it's because of Tiger Bryson or even myself, but other guys will say, you know, point blank, it's the best ball made. And some of them are four handicaps. Some of them are guys that are playing amateur tournaments or even a couple college players. And I give them balls, and, and, you know, and they like it to try. And, and I, I think, you know, when you look around there, I, I won't say any names because I don't think it's correct, but there are people not signed up that use a Bridgestone ball and they use it for a reason. And uh, it's, it's a, one heck of a golf ball. Well, Freddie, hey, I can't stress enough how we thank you for your time today. Carving out the time for us. Your time's valuable, and uh, it's been a blast. I've enjoyed going down memory lane with you. How about some final words for our listeners out there? Well, I think some final words are, you know, for, for me and another hundred guys, pay, pay attention to Augusta. Um, I don't know how the weather's going to be, but, you know, final words would be, for me, I mean, I'm, I, I love playing golf, and I know someday I'm going to retire, but I will still play with, with all my buddies. And, uh, you know, for the ones listening that want to get a little bit better, you know, you might want to do not what I do lately, not play much. You want to go out and, and work on your game a little bit. And if you're driving it well or you're a good wedge player, don't warm up and practice with those. Warm up with clubs, you know. I don't want you to hit three irons off a tight light, but warm up with five irons or seven irons and, you know, and get, get those hitting well. But for, for all of us golfers, you know, we're looking for sunny days and uh, uh, 60 degrees to 80 degrees to go play and have fun. And that's really all I try and do. But Augusta um, is coming up fast and it's going to be a heck of a week. Uh, this PGA tour and all these players are getting younger and younger and younger. I just was told that the top 10 players, Rory in the world, Rory's the oldest at 32. It kind of blew my mind, but it, it, you know, back when, when I was 32, most good players were 28 to 40. Now they're 22 to 32. And that's, weird to me. I mean, that's how good these people are. So stay tuned, watch a lot of golf. And, you know, I think Augusta is all of our favorite weeks. And uh, if you're watching on TV, you know, just, you're going to see some, some holes that are magnificent. Uh, And if the weather's right, you're going to see a lot of birdies. And if it's windy and the greens are firm, 
it's going to be a difficult little beast to play. Man, Fred Couples, can't thank you enough, my friend. Best wishes at Augusta, best wishes the rest of the year, and best wishes all the way around. We appreciate it. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for having me on. We've done a lot of these, a lot of tour player interviews over the last 12 years or so, but uh, doesn't get much better than that. Hall of Famer Freddie Couples talking about not only his 1992 Masters win, but uh, going back in the time machine, talking about his friends at Houston, Jim Nance, Blaine McAllister, John Horn, and all those guys. and But then also about the golf ball and what you should do about the golf ball, the golf ball in your game. Take the time to get fit. Find out the right ball for your game, and it just might help you score a lot better. And that ball might be from Bridgestone. And special thanks to Bridgestone today for bringing Freddie to us and uh, to Mr. Couples himself. And we'll do it again next time. We have another episode of the Worldwide Golf Shops Insider Podcast here at WorldwideGolfShops.com. So long, everyone.